Today in our uh, Tuesday Chapel, we're, we are uh, happy to welcome Pastor David Robinson to uh, speak to us. I was thinking, uh, I first met David in the Heritage Chapel eight years ago when he was the speaker. I was newly arrived, and so I was still getting to know everybody here, and uh, they had set up all the speakers in advance, and I remember sitting over on this side, and up came a pastor, uh, David Robinson, and spoke. And I remember that day, hearing his message, and being really moved by the way he wedded scriptural insight with just a personal pastoral care. And over the last eight years, uh, David and Eva have become dear friends for Linda and me, and I uh, counted a real privilege to be a colleague in ministry with him. David also works with Heritage, he's a full-time pastor, but also directs our uh, biblical counseling uh, graduate certificate. So he does some teaching here, as well as just pastoring, and has a real heart for the church, real heart for people. And I think you're gonna uh, be blessed today as he comes and opens God's word to us. So would you join me in just giving him a nice warm welcome as he comes. Hi, you are very kind, thank you. Thank you, Rick. And uh, I uh, texted this morning uh, Dr. Reed, and I just said, I, I always counted a privilege. Um, there was a time when, uh, during our church, uh, we, my wife and I had to do some work with the youth group. Oh, I found that exhausting. <laughs> that, so if you're going into youth work, man, I just have a ton of respect for you. Um, but we led the young adults group for a long time, and we loved it. We did a Bible study also with Conestoga College, uh, and, and we just, my wife and I just seemed to gravitate to this age group. Um, so thank you for coming this morning. Uh, thank you for being part of this. And uh, I thank the, the school for entrusting me with the privilege of opening up God's Word. Psalm 121 is uh, what we want to take a look at this morning. When, we, uh, when, when people come and talk to myself about maybe uh, matters that they're going through, I often think it's Psalm 121 that they're struggling with. Uh, if they had to write a test about the help of God in a seminary or in a Bible college, you could get the right answers. But in life... Uh, it's not that we don't know that God is our help. The question becomes, where do I find God's help? Uh, what does God's help even look like? So people will come and they will uh, talk about their struggle with addiction. Whatever, whatever addiction that may be. Some people may just come and they're, they're talking about their panic attacks or their fear, their anxiety. Uh, some may come and say, you know, I just, I know someone or, or I'm just, I just, I have, I cut myself, it started early and I just cannot, that is my go-to. It still is my go-to and I can't talk about this with anybody uh, and, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, maybe there's some abuse in the past uh, that they've, they, they've never actually talked about with anybody. Uh, and anytime it comes up in their mind, they just, they seek to suppress it. Uh, and there, if you were to say, well, you need to find your help in God, it's like, yeah, I got that answer right in school. I just don't know where his help is. 
What does God's help look like to someone who's been damaged or, as they perceive themselves, damaged, and, and they just can't get beyond that? So that shapes how they interact with others, it shapes how they interact with themselves, and it shapes how they interact with God. What about those who um, struggle with a certain eating disorder or just understanding what forgiveness looks like in terms of how they uh, look at their past or how, what others have done to them? Pornography. Uh, same-sex attraction, anger, envy, pride, hurt. Um, is God going to help me? Well, everybody would say, yeah, but just where? How, how does this help? And leading up to Psalm 121, uh, Psalm 119, as you will know, is the longest uh, psalm. You ever wonder why it's the longest psalm? This is, and you can talk about this with me afterwards, but this is, where I, this is why I think it's the longest psalm. Notice verse 1, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. I think this is the longest psalm because that's one of the greatest struggles in the Christian life. We'll say verse 1 and we'll say, absolutely, I'm in. I want a blameless walk. I want to be happy. I want to walk according to the Lord's instruction. And God basically says in Psalm 119, you need over 170 verses of this because you're going to struggle with it. It is going to be one of the greatest struggles, to a blameless walk before God. I mean, even verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young person keep their way pure by keeping your word? It can't be that simple. But that's the struggle, 170 verses of struggling. What about this one in verse 27? Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so I can meditate on your wonders. Uh, why did he need to say that? My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. My life is down in the dust. That's verse 28, 25. We can identify with that. I, I need over 170 verses. I need God's help. I need over 170 verses of God's help. Or the immediate one before that, 120, is our life in this world. Do you ever get tired of this world? You ever just grow exhausted of the battles of, that you're going through and the battles of your heart? He says this, I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. He's basically saying, I'm about to give up. And I know God is my help, but where do I even find help? So that's what we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. We're going to take a look at the two questions. We're going to divide it up. Verses 1 and 2, we'll ask the question, will I even find help? Uh, some of you may be at a place where you say, well, I've struggled with this so long, I've just basically given up. In fact, I talked to someone just recently who was struggling with pornography, and they said that the place um, that, uh, that they, when they look back on their struggle, they said, uh, this, this was the time when um, it began to impact my life the most. They said, I just, I gave up. I just gave up fighting. And we might look at that and say, well, why would you? Because... It's exhausting. It's painful. And it might not be pornography, but it might be something else for you. And you just say, I'm, I just, I'm, I gave up. I gave up longer. I'm a believer, but I've just I accepted that part of my life. And so we begin with the question, will I even find help? And then verses 3 through 8 is this wrestling with, what does help even look like? And interestingly, and, but not unexpected, Psalm 121 brings us to a place where we say, oh, that's the help of God. I'd have never looked for help there. But if I understand God's help this way, that helps me with the various things that I'm going to go through. So let's do that. And before we do that, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for each person here. Uh, we want to come before you and just acknowledge that we are all 
uh, in need of help. Um, we are humbled by your word. We are humbled by this journey. We are humbled with the weight of holiness. We are humbled by uh, the conforming to this culture that we so often cave into and the need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And sometimes we confess, we just, we fail, we give up, we, we grow discouraged. Uh, we can tell others how to live their lives, but Lord, our life just seems to be a mess and there is no help. I know you're our helper, but where is your help? So for those who have given up this morning, for those who are filled with guilt and shame, Father, may they find their help and may it begin once again their battle, their journey into grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Psalm 121. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forevermore. What word do you think God wants us to notice? Right? Protector. Protect. So here's the first question from verses one and two. Where will I find my help? Where will I locate my help? Now, I think that's interesting. The first thing he says, I will lift my eyes toward the mountains. If you have to lift your eyes towards the mountains, that means your head starts down, right? Your eyes are down. Verse one allows you to grieve. Verse one says, there will be suffering in your life. The psalmist actually begins with his head down, and he, it's almost like he's in despair. You know those people. Maybe you're one of those people where everything, they just walk like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They walk slumped. Their head is down, and uh, the pain is just too much, and the psalmist is like that. He starts with his head down. His eyes are down. In other words, Christians are permitted, even encouraged, to express their grief with cries, of pain and with questions of where is your help. Interestingly, the two places that uh, the psalmist refers, so where will I even find help? Verses one and two talk about the big picture. Our sufferings can often define our theology. When we begin our suffering or when we begin our battle and temptation, we're, you know, we're theology 101, but the longer we go in our suffering or the longer we go in our temptation, we lose light of who God is and our uh, suffering begins to be defined by, by our suffering rather than by God. So that's why uh, it, people who, who suffer long, you'll begin to hear them ask the question, well, where is God? Um, has God abandoned me? Because they're beginning to think more along the lines of uh, what their suffering is telling them rather than the big picture of who God is. So what the psalmist does in verses 1 and 2 is he says, where will I find help? He says, it actually begins with a confession of faith. It begins with a confession of the greatness of God. And that's why he mentions two M words, at least in this version. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Now this is a psalm of ascent, so pilgrims are going up to Jerusalem. I think mountains means two things, at least uh, in, 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 in this understanding. And first is, when they lifted their eyes up to the mountains, they lifted their eyes up to the promises of God. 
They were going to gather in Jerusalem and they were going to meet with God at his temple. And at, at, the, at the temple, they would be reminded of the promises of God. But also when they lifted their eyes up to the mountains, they not only saw the promises of God, but they saw the provisions of God. You're a pilgrim on the way up to Jerusalem. You look up and you see all the provisions that God has given. You see the temple. Uh, you're reminded of the covenant. You're reminded of the priesthood. You're reminded of all the gifts and the blessings of God. You're reminded that that's where the king is. And so you're on your way up to the mountain and you are reminded that God's provisions will, will meet you there. So the mountains is a short, form, a short form for saying these are the promises and the provisions of God. And then he says, and it's almost like he looks up, he sees Jerusalem, he sees the promises and the provisions of God, and then he doesn't stop there. He, he looks up, up. And he says, not only is God, uh, the God a covenant God, a faithful covenant God, but my help comes from the Lord. He is not only on the mountain, but he is the maker. So if you are struggling... And if you are wondering where God is, God is present in his provisions, in his promises, and in his power. He is not only the God of the mountain, where he meets with his people, where he has made a covenant and is faithful with his covenant there. He is not only, um, that's not only where the king is, where there's a greater king that's coming, or a greater covenant that's coming, or a greater sacrifice that's coming, but he is a God of power. He has created the heavens and the earth. He sits on the throne. There is no greater uh, God. He is the only God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. That is your helper. Now, if you are wondering if God can help, he is on the mountains. He is the maker of heaven and earth. The power, the promises, the provisions of God in your struggle. Now, what do you, you say? Well, that's good because I've always experienced God as a more distant God anyway. I understand his power and I understand his promises, but I'm just not sure they're for me. Or I understand his provisions, but I hear other people who have worked through their addictions or whatever struggles they're going through, but it just seems basically that God's abandoned me. Why am I left struggling? And in fact, why am I left struggling? And so often I, I just don't seem to make any headway or any spiritual growth. And then why in church can we not talk about these things and just say, God, this is where I'm at and I need your help and I need others to come around me. What happens when we begin to have a confession of faith like this? If this is just, if this is all, if this is our only place to start this morning, what happens? Remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? I love this. They, you know, they stand before the most powerful man in the world. And when they're asked to stand or to bow down before the Lord, this is what they say. If the God that we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you. Do you believe that? That God can rescue you from the power of whatever you're going through? That you don't have to give up today? And listen to this. But even if... But even if he does not rescue us, we want you 
as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the God statue you set up. What a powerful statement. What happens when you begin to see the mountains and the maker? You begin to talk like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You begin to say, I don't, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but one thing I do know is I serve a God who is filled with promises, filled with provisions, and filled with power. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and he will see me through this. And so when people come and talk and they say, you know what, I, I don't get God, then we begin to ask them the question. If you have a friend who's going through this, ask them the question, where do you find help? Where do you find your help? Do you find your help on the mountains? Do you find your help in the maker? Because when we serve a God like that, it's like he unleashes us (laughs) to be able to say, I don't know what God's going to do with my journey. This may be a lifelong battle, but I want you to know, whatever that battle is, that we will not serve your gods. I will not (laughs) serve that God. I will not worship that God. I am set free by Christ and his power through his promises, given his provisions to stand and count the name of Jesus. So sometimes it just begins a confession of faith, a confession of the greatness of God. Well, practically, what does that help look like? We'll just look at these things. Verses three through eight. If you're going through something difficult, let's say that something, you're just going through something very painful. What is one of the first things that you do? You're going to call a friend, right? Or sorry, you're going to text a friend. You're going to snap, Snapchat a friend and say, you know, I'm just, I'm broken. Why, do you, why is the first thing that you do, you Snapchat a friend? I think it's because, the, and this is, this is verses three and four, you're saying he will not allow your foot to slip. You're saying my foot's going to slip right now. I'm, I'm about to slide into whatever I go into. Anxiety, fear, I'm just frozen. Or this happened to me and I'm overwhelmed and my foot's about to slip. Why do we phone a friend? Because we want them, we want somebody, we want anybody to know and to understand. Right? You're not looking for an answer at that point. You're not looking for someone to do this and preach a sermon to you. You're just looking for someone to come and that they would know. So, in whatever disappointments or whatever suffering you're going through, where do you find the help of God? If you're to say to God, God, this is what help would look like in my life, what is the first place that God offers help? He doesn't solve your problems often. You will have to journey through difficulties. We will say, God, if you're a God of help, then stop this in me or change me right now. God's word says he's basically he's, he's going to lead us through the waters, right? He's going to lead us through those waters. Where we don't often look for God's help is that we know that he knows. Do you know that God knows? Listen to what he says. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. I love this poetry right? Do you not just love this? God says, or the poet says, he does not slumber. And in other words, he's always awake and alert. But this is what we do, and this is what I do with God. Uh, God, I know you don't slumber, 
but do you sleep? Right? Why does he say slumber and sleep at the end after he said slumber? Because we trust God that he will not slumber, but we don't fully trust God. God, I need to, it's like, it's like you're watching somebody sleep. Are they sleeping or are they sleeping, sleeping? And it's like, God, God, I know you're not going to slumber. I know you're going to do a good job with uh, looking after me, but do you sleep? And God's basically saying, I don't slumber. I don't sleep. I am awake. I am aware. I am ruling. And I know everything that's going on. Do you know God knows when you're weak and about to stumble? Do you, this is painful, but do you know that when you feel awful and you have no emotions, God's awake and alert to that? He knows where you're at. Do you know that when you went to that place of darkness or when those unspeakable things took place in your life, and nobody else knew there is a God who did not slumber or sleep. In other words, he's saying, I know. I know where you're at. I know what's going on. And that is the beginning of where we find help. You're not alone in this. And in fact, the one who comes and says, I'm not alone, is the God of the mountains and the God of, or and the God who is the maker. His power now becomes intimate, and he says, I know your story. God knows when you feel hurt, angry, annoyed, tricked, betrayed, alone, helpless. God knows when you feel despair, loss, and grief, and you're about to give up because it seems like no help is coming, and God comes along and he says, I'm not going to let your foot slip because I know. I know what you're going through. If God understands, verses 5 and 6 says, God cares perfectly. This is where we find help. Where do you expect the help of God to come? this mountain, this maker, he first of all knows. Second of all, he cares. Look at verse 5. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. Isn't that amazing? He's your protector. He's your shade. Remember, these are pilgrims, the the sun beating down on them, the cold at night, he says. And then he says, you notice the extremes in Psalm 21, heaven and earth, day and night, we're going to see coming and going. In other words, when he says day and night, he's saying anytime, anywhere, every place. doesn't matter. Day, night, your entire 24 hours. Your entire 24 hours today, God is at your right-hand side. He is that close. Our protector protects, he guards. I wonder how many times in glory we will be able to say, uh, we will be able to say as we look back, however that all works out, but God, we just heard God say, you know, to the devil or to someone who's doing things that should never be done to us this far and no further, like he did with Satan and Job. You see, God is at your right-hand side. That's a precious, precious moment for us. This mountain, this maker, promises, provisions, power, protection, whatever it is, he's there. And he will walk through us, through the waters and the fire, but he never leaves us. And because he never leaves us, he never forsakes us.
So you say, my foot's about to slip. God knows. My foot's about to slip. God's right there. And what is he doing? He's sheltering you. He's saying, this far and no further. And then verses 7 and 8. Sometimes when people are struggling with the where question, they're saying, they're frozen. Right? Like they're saying, I, I, I have too much to take care of in my own mind and my own heart. How can I serve God when if somebody found out I'm cutting, they would say, well, you need to take care of matters. And, and, and you know, even the fact that God knows how many people come and, and, and they offer you advice, but they don't really know. They haven't really listened to your story. That's why it's so amazing that God knows. And a God who actually knows, knows, is a God who is at your right side, right-hand side, protecting you. So what, what is the final thing? Uh, what is the final way that God helps? God does such a good job of knowing you and of being at your right-hand side that he gives you the freedom to come and go. Notice that the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. Now, you might say, well, I've been in harm, so what does God mean he will protect you from all harm? Well, harm can be a difficult word to define, but at minimum, it's not, God is not, you can't make it say more than it is um, as Scripture interprets Scripture, but it's not that nothing bad will happen to us, but the final impact of harm, what, sa- what would Satan do to harm you? What would he want from you to abandon God? God's saying that harm, he's going to protect you from that. The ultimate harm. Because we live in a fallen world, we'll go through fallen experiences. But the ultimate harm, what this world would want from you to deny the name of Jesus, just curse God and die. God comes along and he says, I'm going to protect you from all harm and I will protect your life. There's the definite. I'm going to protect your life. The Lord will protect you. You're coming and you're going. This may not strike you, but listen to this. Sometimes when we're struggling so much with where God is, we say, I can't serve God. I can't serve others. I can't love others because I'm so preoccupied with what I'm going through. And God says, I I will draw so close to you and you will know that I know your story, that I am at your right hand. And if God knows your story and if God's at your right hand, then what are you free to do? You are freed to live the Christian life. You can come and you can go. You are not enslaved. Your temptations do not define you. People will say, well, I'm depressed. Yes, you're depressed, but you are first of all a child of God. I am a child of God who struggles with depression, changes everything. Because if you are just depressed, you don't come and go. But if you are a child of God, and I'm just trying to make this sound simple, it's just the brevity of time, but if you are a person who says, I am first of all a child of God, I have seen the mountains, I have seen my maker, my God is with me, my God protects me, my God is my shelter, and by his grace I can come and I can go. Whatever God calls me to, I come and I go. And ultimately, you might say, well, what does it mean to come and go? 
Remember, this is a psalm of ascent, right? Do you want to know your ultimate help? They were going to Jerusalem. God knows God is your shelter. You come and go to worship. You know people like this. Maybe you are that person this morning. Like Job, whose Job's wife comes and says, curse God and die. And you say, nothing that has ever harmed me or the struggles of my temptation will ever keep me away from the worship of God. That is our ultimate coming and going. Our ultimate coming and going is saying, even if God does not rescue me from this furnace, I will not bow down to this God. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, which ultimately means there is nothing that will separate us from the worship of God. And so the Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forevermore. So you struggle with an addiction. You struggle with a panic attack. You struggle with cutting, abuse in the past, doubt, eating disorder, forgiveness, porn, same-sex attraction, fears, anger, envy, pride, hurt. One of those things, all of those things. You say, I know God's a help, but where do I find help? It begins with a confession of faith. After the confession of faith of mountain and maker, we look for God in unusual places. He knows my story. He doesn't abandon me. He's right by my side. And he will work in such a way where I will come and go in the worship of God. So on those lonely nights when you're struggling, he will work in such a way that you are able to say, God, you know what I'm going through. You know my guilt and shame or you know my struggle. You're still there. And for that, I worship you. And when we are worshiping God, that's our greatest freedom. That's why we were created, to be in fellowship with God and to reflect his glory. So you are not defined by your struggles. You are not defined by your temptation. Your help enables you to worship God so other people look at you and say, I know some of their temptations and I know some of their pain and I know some of their story. And they worship God and they glorify God. And so if they can do that, by God's grace, I can learn to do that. And they come to you and they say, well, why are you still worshiping God when that took place? And you say, I knew God was my help. I just didn't know where God was helping me. He's helping me because he knows my story. He forgives. He heals. He grows. He never left me. And he gives me grace to worship that's my prayer for you, that you would have grace to find freedom in worship because of the mountain, the maker. He knows he never leaves. You come and go. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, 
Maybe we haven't thought and just assumed that we know where our help comes from. And so when we make expectations of you that our help will come in this form or this way, or maybe like how you've worked in other people's lives, and it doesn't come that way, that's not where we find our help, we think that you have abandoned us. Or we think that you're distant, or we think that we've just done so much wrong that you, why would you ever help us anymore? That's why we thank you for Psalm 121, which asks the question, where? And Lord, I know we've rushed through it, but for those who are struggling with where you are and why you haven't helped them more, may this morning they begin to think deeply about the mountain and the maker, and may they see that true help ultimately leads us even in our struggles, to worship. And we are able to worship because you know our story and yet you love us so deeply. And you know our story and yet you're right beside us. Maybe a lot of people have abandoned us in our life, but you have not once abandoned us. We don't even know the moments where you have said this far and no further to darkness in our life or to what people have done to us, as horrific as that is. And so we want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we know that this can be a long journey, but we want to be able to say we will not worship those gods because our king does not sleep and he does not sleep or slumber so that we can come and go to glorify your name as we seek to worship you. So, Father, in the tears, in the confusion, in the hurt, in the pain, in the suffering, in the grief, may we know where our help is. It is in the Lord. And we hope that, or we pray that you would help us explore this and to know in our hearts we are loved. And so we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're uh, just a minute or two early uh, before uh, they're ready to receive us down below. And I think this is a kind of a holy moment here as we hear the word of the Lord from uh, Brother David. Here's what I'd like us to do. We're a community. In fact, this psalm is a psalm of ascent, which was sung by the people of God as together they journeyed toward Jerusalem to worship. And in a sense, we are on an ascent. We are journeying together. And so before you leave today, um, I'm going to give you a moment, just a couple minutes. You can make it longer if you choose to, but I'm not expecting that. But I'm going to invite you either to, just with somebody next to you or two people next to you, just to pull in and maybe at least one of you pray for all of you. Or maybe you say, I could really use prayer. And you could say a little or you could say a little bit more than that. You don't have to be specific, but you could say, I could use prayer. We want to be those who walk with each other, that you don't walk alone. Not only is God with you, but your brothers and sisters are. So before you leave, would you take just the next couple minutes and would you pull together with at least one other person, maybe two other people, whatever, and if you both choose to pray out loud, that's great. If one of you just prays, that's great. If you just want to hunker down and you say, I just need to talk to the Lord by myself, that's great. But take the next few minutes and then after you prayed, we'll just filter out. But kind of keep it as a, a quiet place in this space. If you want to talk, go, go out there and we'll meet you down for lunch in a minute. But let's take a couple minutes and pray for each other. Can we do that? Let's go.